0: You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Well, let me explain why I got a t-shirt on today. Um, I got my serve team shirt on like several others do, um, so I always want to call attention, or at least from time to time, um, you know, this um, Gateway Franklin Church, we, we operate, right, we're, we're, we're not an organization, we're a body, and so we don't just plug and play positions, every spot of service is important to how the body serves one another and how we serve the greater community, and so um, just an awareness of there are always needs here for for people to serve, to join hands in ministry especially as it relates to our kids ministry, you know, and uh, on normal Sundays, not not fall break Sundays or holidays per se, but there's over a hundred grade school kids and toddlers back there. And, um, and in order for a mom and dad to uh, soak in what's in here, they need their kids to be able to soak in what's back there. Right? and so, let me encourage you if you've been coming for a while or if you have kids in the ministry, just want to make you aware there's always a need for people to serve and always a place for people to serve and let me encourage you if you when you think everything just runs like clockwork um, uh, yes i I hope it always looks like it runs well, um, but there's a lot of people uh, acting like Barney uh, in the in the in the car from the Flintstones, right? It's like the duck, right? The duck looks really calm on top and the legs are moving pretty fiercely. So there's plenty of places to serve. So I say that and then, I, then and it's also time for me to break out my buy a tree change of life socks, All right? um, Because it's that time too. It's time for buy a tree change of life, believe it or not. Um, yeah, that's exciting. Well, last year I told you we had a record-breaking year. More people involved, more trees sold. The faster we sold, the more money we made. All this kind of stuff, right? So, um, so this year um, I bought thirty uh, percent more trees, trying to trying to actually sell a Christmas tree in December, right? Because we sell out before December every single year. Um, but it's a great way to meet new people. If you met new people at Buy a Tree Change Your Life, raise your hand. You met pe- new people at Buy a Tree Change Your Life, right? So it's a great opportunity to meet new people growing the body and uh, you know we give 100% of that away. Last year we were able to give away $75,000 as an organization by a tree change of life raised over $2 million. So like in a two week sales period of time, $2 million were, were, was spent on Christmas trees, like 16,000 Christmas trees and 60 sites or whatever. Um, this year we more trees, more expenses, but our sponsorships continue to grow. I think we're, we're like 51,000, 52,000 in sponsorships with five different pending sponsorships. It's, so we will cover our expenses again this year, which means as soon as someone steps on that lot, then we'll be able to say, hey, 100% of what you're, what you're spending today is gonna to help kids locally and globally. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing to have that many businesses, many businesses out of the congregation, some not in the congregation, but been with us for a while. Um, so it's, a, it's an amazing time. Believe it or not, the trees, will, the trees will be here. We will be selling trees November 18th. So what we need is that we need more people, okay? That's the, that's the mantra. Uh, on that QR code in front of you, you can get to the groups page. It is a group, Buy a tree, change a life. It's a group. Just go ahead and get your contact information in there. Say, I want to serve by a tree, change a life. And then in a couple weeks, we'll release the, um, uh, the slots, the four-hour shifts over all those days, so that you can lock into one of those shifts, um, it's everything from tying a tree on a car. I usually ask David's a good tree, tree tire. I usually ask how far are you going, whether or not they want me to tie the tree of the car. So I'm better at carrying a tree than I am tying a tree on. But it's everything from tying trees on to greeting people. It's a, there's so many things to do at buy a tree. And this year, I, I don't know if we'll get to 100k, but that's my goal that we would raise hundred thousand dollars. Um, to get so where are we getting away uh, from everything from Franktown to Hope Academy to the stuff we 've been doing with with adoptions and um, foster care and it 's just been a gamut and we 've been able to come alongside organizations and, and bless them, and we 've been blessed as a result of that too. so um, so blow up blow up that small group by dropping your name in and then we will release the, the shifts and then you 'll be able to transfer over and get into those shifts. okay. So today is week four in our Hope and Empty Places series. Today is um, Exhaustion Masquerades as Empty. Is anybody tired? If you're tired, raise your hand. Use it. You're tired. All right. I mean, that many hands percentage-wise was raised in the first service too. And we're going to talk about Exhaustion Masquerades as Empty. So Vince Lombardi is buried in a nondescript cemetery near the Jersey Shore in Monmouth County, New Jersey. It was a neighboring county of where I grew up. It's grave four, lot 375A, section 30. I say that because there's no sign outside of that cemetery that says, here lies Vince Lombardi. Nothing. No pomp, no circumstance. This is his gravestone. This is a picture of his gravestone. When you look at it, you're going to see um, his wife, Marie. Marie. Him, Vincent Thomas, birth dates, um, dates of passing, and two crosses. No, nothing else on there. Nothing that he is the, the winningest percentage uh, playoff football coach in history. Nothing that he had won um, th- three NFL championships and two newly branded Super Bowls. Nothing that in 1971 he was so great as a coach that they, they changed the name of the trophy that they give Super Bowl champions to the Vince Lombardi trophy, all right? This man was legendary and is legendary. What isn't widely known about Vincent Thomas Lombardi was that he was raised in a strict Italian Catholic household. And his faith made such a distinct impression on him that he enrolled at the Cathedral College of Immaculate Conception at the age of 15 to enter into the priesthood. And then he found football, and two years later, he transferred to be a fullback. So his coaching demeanor would have never been considered priestly. But his spiritual grit and the face of adversity was strong. Now you won't hear this quote on ESPN, but this is a Lombardi quote. When we place our dependence on God, we are unencumbered and we have no worry. In fact, we, we may even be reckless insofar as part of, In fact, we may even be reckless insofar as our part in the production is concerned. This confidence, this sureness of action is both contagious and an an aid to perfect action. The rest is in the hands of God. And this is the same God, gentlemen, who has won all his battles up to now. How's that for a halftime speech given by a legendary coach? The rest is in the hands of God. And this is the same God gentleman who has won all his battles up to now. Lombardi's success in coaching wasn't just because of a football acumen. He understood human nature. And one of his most quoted quotes is this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. There's a reason why when you watch certain levels of football, you'll see at the end in the fourth quarter, you'll see everyone, the players, they'll raise their hand with four fingers. Have you noticed this? And it's, it's either they're trying to convince themselves or they're trying to convince the other team that they have what it takes to finish the game strong. So at a time where they should be the most tired is a time they draw on the moments they've spent working up to that point so that they will be strong when the other team is tired. And, and, and Lombardi understood that when we are exhausted, when we are fatigued, all right, these are the times that we have less faith, less courage, less strength. And what I want to contend to today is that exhaustion just masquerades as empty because it itself is not empty. So here's how I want to coach you this morning. One is that we need to put in the spiritual work anticipating tired seasons because they come for everyone. The the time to prepare for a tired season is not going to be in the season in which you are tired, right? We we do this work ahead of time because knowing that tired seasons will come for all of us. And then so you put in the work so then you can call in on the work beforehand. The second is not to quit when you're exhausted. Because your tiredness is real, but your situation isn't empty. Remember, feelings are real. They're just not reliable. All right? So emotional exhaustion is real. Physical exhaustion is real. Spiritual exhaustion is real. They're just not empty places. All right? The most basic thing you need to learn in a fight is to know who you're fighting. And it was years ago I taught you this on a um, series on spiritual warfare, Your spouse isn't your enemy, your boss isn't your enemy, your employers isn't your enemy, your employees aren't your enemy, your family's not your enemy, you're not even your worst enemy. We have an enemy, self-disclosed, he makes no bones about it, Satan is our enemy. All fights are spiritual fights, okay? Because they can all be fought spiritually, which makes all fights spiritual fights. So we have to fight spiritual fights spiritually and fight the right Person. So let me help you today as best I can, that we can hold up four fingers, especially those who raised their hands today that said you were tired. One of the most dramatic spiritual fights in biblical history comes out of 1 Kings. Um, the Bible simply says, at least mine does on a heading, it simply says, Elijah on Mount Carmel. And that's the softest sail of anything I've ever Heard, right. If this was a boxing match, if this was an announcer, it would be more like the showdown at at uh, at sundown. Right. I mean, this is a this is a big deal. This is where where um, Elijah is squaring off against 900 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Um, I, I had this thought, I was writing this, I remember seeing a girls fast pitch softball team at a restaurant once, and they had the greatest t-shirt that I've ever seen in my life. The front of the t-shirt said, all we do is kick butt and chew gum. And on the back it said, and we're all out of gum. Well, I, I liked it more than you did, but I, I just, I, I, I love that shirt because it is, a, we know we're getting ready to go in for a fight, and we're ready For the fight. And by all um, accounts, Elijah was ready for this fight. Now, let me give you a little background on Ahab, the current king uh, of Israel, contextually, current king of Israel. Um, 1 Kings 16 says this Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And then marrying a woman named Jezebel is also later listed in his corrupt acts. And it was for, it was for good reason. So, so God now is using the prophet of God, Elijah, to send a message to Ahab about his reign and his wickedness. And the message was, I am going to withhold my reign from this land. Now note, whenever we use, when you hear healing of the land in the Old Testament, that, that means the bringing of rain. Okay, so, so, so God's telling Ahab, I am going to withhold rain and healing from this land. All right, so Elijah and Ahab go killing every prophet they can get their hands on. And God, though, tucks away Elijah in a ravine area where he cannot be found, and he feeds him every day by the birds, the ravens bringing food, and by the brook that ran through that area until the brook finally ran dry. The drought taking its toll on all that. No, and then he gets Ahab up. I mean, he gets Elijah up and he moves him. And what he moves him into is to pick another fight with Ahab. (laughs) And in this fight, there's a challenge to say, okay, who is the real God here? Is it the God that you've been serving over here named Baal? Is the God that you're serving over here named Asherah? Are these the gods? Are these real gods? Or is Yahweh the God of Israel? God. So he squares off against 900 prophets, 450 of Baal, 450 of shearer. Here's the challenge. Elijah posed the challenge. Let's build an altar. Let's put a sacrifice on the altar and whichever God can, um, uh, brings fire down to consume the sacrifice. That's the real powerful God. Deal, deal, shake, go to different sides. Elijah wins the coin toss. He defers to the second half. 450 prophets here, 450, we have 900 prophets. There's no indication in scripture that they tag teamed in this thing. All indication is all 900 for six hours, hoop and holler around this altar, calling for their gods to provide the fire. It even says they go as far as to cut themselves and worship rituals in order to enlist their God to bring fire on the altar. And all the time, Elijah's talking smack. He's saying, oh, you need to talk a little louder. He can't hear you. Well, maybe he's on a break. And he's just chiding and chiding and chiding them. And, and I don't think anybody called time out. I don't think anybody said, okay, it's your turn. I think those 900 just wore themselves out. And they were done. And by the time all of them were sitting down frustrated after six hours and nothing happened, then Elijah steps up. Elijah steps up with the, same, with the same altar, the same ox probably on this altar, and he has his servants go get four jars and fill them for water and dump them on the altar. Okay, So basically we have probably between roughly 80 to 100 gallons of water being dumped on this altar with this ox. And then as if that's not enough, then he has them dig a trench and he has them go fill it up three more times. And he pours enough water that, that it then saturates all of this. It pours into the trench and all of it's there. And then... There is no indication that Elijah raises his voice, right? I think he's in the direct opposite posture as those 900 people. And then we we have his prayer reads this way. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, so these people will know what will now these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I think he would have only said it at the height and the, 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 the volume that everybody could have heard him. I don't believe there's any hoop or a or running around. And what happens? The fire comes from heaven and it doesn't just set the fire. It blows the whole thing up. Right? So, so the ox and bones and all of this disintegrated. The stones around the altar disintegrated, the water in the trench, gone. I mean, there was no mistaking God making a statement that I am the God of Israel. You need to turn your hearts back to me. And then, I don't know, maybe this is his victory lap. Then God has um, Elijah and his servants kill the 900 prophets, right? So I guess that's the spike in the end zone. Um, But there's one significant thing to draw from the story is that some fights just have to be fought. You can, we can try to avoid spiritual fights and some of them just have to be fought. So you just have to, you have to step up under the confidence of the Lord and fight the fights that are supposed to be fought. Um, but this fight took all the fight out of Elijah because it's the only possible explanation for his next actions. And here's where we get to the exhausted, right? Because we can get exhausted and tired through good seasons and bad seasons, hard seasons, right? Easy seasons are hard seasons, here way it goes. You can get too exhausted in a lot of different ways, but once you get too exhausted, we all have to deal with, deal with the same things. I will say that I have come across more people that can handle um, defeat better than they can handle victory. That when they handle success, when success comes, I see a lot more people falling around success and even being tired after success than I have failure. But so Ahab goes home defeated, tail between his legs. He gets home and Jezebel says we will have none of that. And so then they set out and they start killing more prophets, everyone they could find, all right? Um, But God hides, God hides Elijah. So 1 Kings 19.3 says, though, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever said that? Have you been been so tired in, in a situation where you have said, I have had enough, Lord. Then he goes even further, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. Man, it's amazing what tired does to you. Here's lesson number one. Be on high alert when you're tired. Everybody gets tired in a fight, including prophets. When you find yourself that tired, you need to be on high alert because that's when we are the most susceptible of giving up, of quitting, walking away. where where the feeling of I've had enough, Lord, turns into I've had enough, Lord. Be careful when you're tired. We go on reading in that same chapter. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and they laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to a cave and spent the night. Here's lesson number two and then I'll unpack that verse. God tends to us when we're tired. Tired isn't an empty place. He's running, he's exhausted, he's defeated. And all at once, all at once, an angel touches him and says, get up and eat. All at once. See, because when you're, when, you're, when you're tired and you're exhausted and God steps in, it's unexpected. And it seems to come out of left field. But It's very interesting. Here we have the description of, we have a cake baked on hot coals. So, when, when Elijah lays down out of his exhaustion, is where did the hot coals come from? And it wasn't just, there wasn't a stream of water. He had a jar of water. He was given a jar of water, right. The, right? I tell you that God does his best work creating full out of empty. He didn't just overlook a hot thing of coals and a jar of water. The angel brings him that kind of sustenance, feeds him, in that state, tense doesn't grab him by the face mask and say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He, he tended to him. He was tender. To tend to is to be tender towards. He was tender towards him. Second day, you, you need to sit here a little longer. Here's some more food. You, you're, not, you're not strong enough yet for the journey we're going to take. So, so already God already has a future plan for Elijah. You catching that? I need, I need you to sit there another day because there's a journey we're going to take together. And you need to be strong enough for that journey. So he's tended to for two days. And then at the end of that two days, it was, all right, let's go. Let's go. Um, I don't have this as one of these lessons, but you know when you're too tired to move, and you also know when you're arguing with someone to stay down, right? When the when you you, you there there are times I know you know you're too tired you can't move, and then there are, and then there's other times after you start working yourself out of that, then the rest of the time you're spending talking to yourself about why you should still stay where you are, and you really know the difference. I know the difference. I know the difference when I can't get up and I know the difference when I don't want to get up. I know the difference there. Well, I think if I'm gonna skip ahead, um, lesson number three is there's no shame in being tired, but there's no restoration without trust and movement. That 40 days, that 40 days was probably, he probably had no food, probably was fasting for that 40 days. 40 days is a significant, a significant number in Scripture. Turnarounds happen in 40 days. And I, I don't doubt that these 40 days were silent. So let me just put it in my context. When I, took, when I took our sabbatical, Gina and I took a sabbatical two years ago, I really didn't know how tired I was. And so we, we, the first part of it, we flew to uh, Arizona. We tried to find someplace warm in February. Uh, it, it wasn't. Um, but... W- <laughs> So so we landed in Scottsdale, and we rented. Um, I rented just a little enough car enough to get us back and forth. But when the guy saw my golf clubs and all our baggage, he put me in a brand-new Ram truck. So that was, that was great to be in Arizona, a brand-new Ram truck. It had like 100 miles on it. We turned it in with 900 miles on it. Now, again, now didn't, we didn't drive to Arizona. We flew to Arizona. But we spent 800 miles driving around back and forth, different places, went to the Grand Canyon and back in one day, Sedona and back one day. And when you drive through the Sonoran Desert and you see those cactuses there, you know, and it just was an amazing, amazing experience. But here's the thing, out of, eight, eight, out of that 800 miles, my wife will tell you I probably talked 10, 20 of those miles. She's I was just quiet. I just sat there. I drove. I enjoy driving, first of all, and I enjoyed the new scenery, but I just drove. And I didn't say anything. See, many times when you find yourself in this exhausted, tired state, you don't know what to say, don't have anything to say or anything to give. And you think maybe you're spinning your wheels in that, but I'm telling you, it's therapy. November 17th is 40 days from today. I wonder what that could look like if this is the day God's telling you it's time to get up and move. That you don't even know necessarily that he's been tending to you but he's been tending to you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how one way you can know he's been tending to you, you're here. You're here. He's been tending to you enough that you're here. And this next 40 days, what could this next 40 days look like? If you, if you allow the Lord to continue just to this, this walk, this walk with him, because he took him somewhere very specific. After the end of 40 days, they reached Mount Horeb. Now, if you remember when I talked about forgotten, about being forgotten, and forgotten is delusion. And Moses is at the, at the back end of the wilderness, and yet God says that it was the mountain of God. That was Mount Horeb. So Mount Horeb is not even introduced yet to Moses. This, we, we, Elijah's before. No, Elijah's after. My bad. So Mount Horeb, Mount Horeb is still the mountain of God. So he doesn't know where he's going. He's exhausted And yet God brings him, he brings him to his mountain. There's no shame in being tired, but there's no restoration without trust and movement. Um, All right. So um, when we arrive at Mount, when we arrive, when they arrive at Mount Horeb, here's where the conversation gets down to the nitty gritty. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Here's lesson number four about exhaustion. Fatigue exaggerates and exacerbates everything. What we're finding here, Elijah is responding to God in a very defensive posture. What, do you, what are you asking me for what am I doing here? I've been, I've been doing what you've put me here to do. What do you, what do you mean? What am I doing? I mean, I, I can hear and sense a very defensive you brought me here. You're, you're responsible for all of this, right? It exasperates and exaggerates everything. God isn't chastising or disappointed with you in this season of tired or in the time that he takes to bring you into a restoration time, it's therapy. Sometimes we'll question God on his silence and maybe his silence is therapy. I needed that week of silence. So, the first time he is defensive, God lets him be defensive I don't know fully how to unpack that, except that would be the way all of us would expect to hear from God, right? And something big, powerful, unavoidable, right? And, and all, of that, all of that isn't what he spoke through. But it did get Elijah's attention, I guess. And here comes the whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. Same question. Here comes the same answer. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Same answer, but I think it comes out of a different tone. I think he's dropped his defensiveness now, and now he's just being vulnerable. See, there, I don't think there could be any restoration or change in our life when we live in a defensive posture. Because a defensive, a defensive posture is a protective posture. It's not a restorative posture. When I'm defensive, I'm just trying to protect me. God has to get through our defensiveness to get to our brokenness so he can restore us. Does that make sense to you? When you're defensive, you're holding everything out like this. When you're broken, you don't even have the strength to hold up those arms. And then God can do his work. And that's what I think is happening here. I think now he's just broken. And so now God can speak into it. Now God can restore. Now he can do something different that he couldn't do before. Lesson number five is restoration is a process. Don't be defensive in the process. You can trust his presence. Because look, his presence has been here all along, correct? His presence was all. His presence had to be with Elijah when he was having the showdown at sundown. He was there. then he goes and hides, afraid. The angel touches him. The angel touch. look, the angel touches him, but the Lord leads him. The angel doesn't bring him to God. The angel t- touches him, sustains him, and then he takes the 40-day journey with the Lord. Winds up at the Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, for where God can now speak to him. And once he drops his defensiveness. And now he's just broken. Now he can receive from God. And so this is now what the Lord says to him. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Masses. So it's like, you know, those 40 day journey we just took, I need you to turn back around. And I need you to go 40 days back in the other direction. And, and it seems to us that, well, that's a waste of energy. But when you read it, was it a waste of energy? I mean, this is no, you can't put any geographic, light. you can put this in ways. And figure out the shortest route to restoration, right? It doesn't work like that. Restoration is what God does. So if God is the one who does restoration, let God do restoration. (laughs) Let Him take you where He wants to take you. Let Him take you where you need to go. Don't fight the process. Don't be defensive and dragging your feet all along the way. Let Him do His work because when He finishes His work, we're whole. We're whole. So the Lord said to him, go back the way and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehuel, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death those who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What is God doing here? God's saying, I know you think you've been the only one fighting this battle, but I I know exactly how this battle goes. You you haven't been alone, Elijah. I know you've felt alone, but you haven't been alone. I haven't let everybody get decimated here. Come on. There's 7,000 people that I've reserved for this thing. Now, look, you think you're done being a prophet, but you're not because I got more prophet stuff for you to do. You, you, you need to go down there and you need to replace this king. This is what prophets did. And you go over there and you replace that king. And then you're going to even tap your successor there. Now get, now get moving. So he... He thought he was done is this is this God moving on from his aging quarterback? Is he just trying to retire a guy who just kind of went too far and got burned out? No, because we actually find Elijah being taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire so i, I don't i don 't think that 's an indication that somehow he had failed and God has disappointed him because he was tired after that thing right I mean this is a very pointed thing when elijah doesn 't die and he 's taken to heaven in that regard. He was just saying, listen elijah that I know you're tired, but there's a whole lot more for you to do after this tired, right? What did I say throughout this thing? I said, there's a whole lot of life on the other side of pain. There's a whole lot of life on the other side of being forgotten. And there's a whole lot of life on the other side of being tired. There were still things for him to do. And his presence, God's presence was with him. He wasn't alone. He wasn't alone Outside of the presence of God, God renews his purpose, and he also assures him of his presence. Here's Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength. Come on up, team. God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and strength. You're not alone. You're not alone. And he wants to restore you. Here's the pattern that we can pull from this narrative. Life is a series of fights. Fight the right fight and the right person. Fighting is exhausting but no place is empty. You're gonna leave that slide up for a little bit. Trust God's refresh and restoration process. Trust it. I know I've read John 16, 33 a few times in this series, but I don't know if I have read it out of the Amplified. Um, Jesus, about to enter, right? It's about to enter his own death. Tells his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect Peace. Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, distress, and suffering. But be courageous. Be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. I love reading the Amplified Version. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. He's got all this this stuff all figured out and we're we're kind of a mark on this continuum and he doesn't lose sight of us on this continuum of our life. He's got plans, purposes all along this continuum and he knows that we go through easy seasons and hard seasons. He knows this. He knows we go through tired seasons and restorative seasons. He knows this. And by the show of hands in the room, you're gonna mark yourself on this tired side, there's been something physically, emotionally, or spiritually that is, has, is has drained or is, dra- is draining you to the place where you are fatigued and tired. And the point of this message today is that you need to be on high alert when you're tired. High alert because the Lord wants to do one thing with you. He wants to get you past being defensive and he wants to restore and strengthen you and repurpose you. And the enemy wants to just leave you in the ravine with no water and no bread. And that's what he wants to convince you. He's going to convince you that you're not enough or God's not enough. And this is a message in the word that says not true. Feelings are real. Tired's real. But it doesn't have to be the state you leave. Now look. This may be a beginning of a restoration process for you today. It may, it may mark uh, uh, maybe uh, an encouraging piece because you've been in the middle of a 40-day journey with God. I, I don't know. I don't know where this hits you today. But I encourage you, different pieces of messages hit different people in different ways, right? So t- in this moment now, take those, take those ways to heart. So when we move for prayer, right this side, you just want to pray, um, and this is your some alone time with the Lord. Over here, you want someone to come and actually stand with you and pray with you. Potentially even share what you want prayed for. Then pray for you. Communion is always open. My left and right always a restorative process when we receive from the table from the Eucharist. Um, so stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then I'm gonna invite you to move. Father, so many hands today with a readied acknowledgement that they're tired. Tired. And tired will lend us to say, I've had enough, Lord. But today your word has said that you're you are enough, Lord. And so I pray in this moment of time, Father, this is not just a formality. But that you would bring you would you would bring some fresh bread over hot coals. You will bring a jar of water. You will give direction pulling people towards the Mount of Horeb. Maybe you will reassign prophetic tasks and movements. Um, Thank you for not losing sight of us. Thank you that each of us are very special and that you want to be tender towards. And just may we sense and feel your tenderness and your direction in this moment. Thank you, Father. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.